People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda, where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything within easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theaters, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among the industry leaders, and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result, an unbeatable combination that leads to success, and that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at hacienda.org. There are few people who understand better what makes the Bay Area tick than Jim Wonderman. He is the CEO of the Bay Area Council, an organization that is fully focused on making the region the most globally competitive and economically productive in the world. The Bay Area Council is a public policy and advocacy organization that was formed in 1945 in an effort to shape the future of the region and keep it as the most innovative, competitive, and sustainable in the world. But now that these goals have largely been achieved, the region is faced with a set of new challenges. In some cases, challenges of riches, but nonetheless, challenges that need to be addressed. In our conversation with Jim, we talk about those and provide a sense of the great opportunities that lie ahead should these problems be resolved. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Jim, good afternoon. How are you? Glad I'm good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's good to see you. It's been a few years and uh, a lot of things has happened, have happened in those few years, I think, right? Yeah, it's been a consequential time, we can say that. Yes, for sure, for sure. So, Jim, by way of introduction, I ask all our guests to sort of tell us a little bit about, you know, themselves, what they do, what their role at the, at the, at the organization is, and then also a little bit about the Bay Area Council, you know, what you guys do and sort of what, what is your kind of, you know, mission, if you will, in this grand scheme of things. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, so you know, I'm the CEO and president of the Bay Area Council, and I've been in this position going on 18 years. And before that, I I, I did various roles in the public sector. I was I was uh, chief of staff to Mayor Jordan and a senior advisor, even though I wasn't very senior in age to Mayor Feinstein way back in the 1980s. I was a senior vice president for Providian Financial of you know Fortune 500. New York Stock Exchange listed company. I ran the refuse companies in San Francisco. So I was in the waste industry for a few years. I had my own consulting company at times uh, when I was sort of in between public, private, and nonprofit sectors. So I've got a pretty good view of things from uh, different vantage points. And the Bay Area Council, we're about to celebrate our sixth, our 76th anniversary. We we're supposed to celebrate our 75th last year, but this time we're going to try to do it in person. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, and, and on November 18th. So we're excited about that. And so the organization was formed after World War II with the focus on a, you know, creating a new e a economy for a region that really had a war economy. And to think of the Bay Area as a regional place, as opposed to a few cities, which at that time had the population, San Francisco, Oakland, and Berkeley, the rest of it was pretty much uh, farmland and uh, hinterland. Uh, San Jose's population was 45,000 yeah. <laughs> back in 1945. So a different place. We created the BART system, 
So I think that uh, we, we created the uh, water transportation system, which I share. You've always been very, very focused on connecting and seeing the Bay Area as a regional economy as opposed to a bunch of separate places. And, uh, you know, when you have now 101 cities surrounding a bay, you know, you have to focus on that. And now we even think of the region as being bigger. We think of it as being 22 counties right up through in uh, Sacramento and, you know, into Monterey. And, you know, this is a much bigger region now. Uh, I agree. That way. Yeah. And, and we've noticed that also on, on our end, the way what we are reporting on also. I mean, some of the players that are doing things across the Bay Area are now easily jumping into Sacramento, into Monterey County and further down, right? This kind of mega region, I think, is uh, yeah. is evolving and continues to to do so. Just for the benefit of, of our audience, your, your membership is comprised of companies that are based in the Bay Area, but also have a big presence in the Bay Area, correct? Yeah, we have a, a little north of 300 members, and many of them, probably the grand majority of them are actually Bay Area-based institutions. Some of them are, you know, they're mostly private sector companies, but probably 10% are universities, uh, public sector organizations that are that function as enterprise agencies like the airports and the ports and those kind of folks. So we, uh, you know, we, we, we look for major employers and folks who have a major impact on the economy and we, it's a very diverse organization. You know, you've got the tech sector in here in a big way, financial sector, the utility, the, you've got the consulting uh, companies, yep. the big four financial firms. So it's really a, a mix, uh, but it's leadership oriented. You know, the people, uh, you know, the people who participate in this healthcare, of course, in a really big way, are you know folks who have a keen sense of their company or or sector's role in the economy. Yeah, yeah. And I was just going to ask about tech. So it sounds like that industry has also been forthcoming in their efforts to be part of the Bay Area Council as well, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we have, you know, the, ma- the major companies here you would expect are certainly part of this. And, and then there's, you know, quite a few others. And so, the, you know, obviously the tech sector is the, you know, it's the driving force behind the growth of the region and uh, bio, you know, biotech as well, you know, life sciences, yep, yep. all that's happening there. So, you know, very, very involved. Yeah. So what's interesting about all of this is that I remember, you know, in the last cycle, which is now, I guess, can be defined, you know, from about 2011 to <laughs> COVID, right? Uh, you know, 2019, essentially 2020, there was a lot of discussion around, you know, things like, you know, trying to organize the, you know, region around housing employment and access to, you know, public transportation, sort of, you know, things that kind of make a region work, if you will, right? Uh, COVID hit, obviously, nobody was, you know, prepared for for that. Tell us over the last, you know, 18, 20 months or so, has that shifted for you guys? Have you have you moved on? Not, not necessarily moved on, but have you added kind of new things that you are focused on? Well, there are obviously major changes that have occurred and you know those kinds of issues housing and transportation you know those are going to top the list of you know in any region for planning purposes sure. you know you have to have those in place and you know in that period that you mentioned that you know almost a decade of a very profound growth what we found was that our infrastructure was very stretched you know we we couldn't produce we hadn't produced enough housing before that period 
and we really saw the effect of it during that period. And our transportation system was uh, it was busting at the seams. You know, we had north of four hundred thousand riders per day on board. It's not built for anything close to that, right, and right. so people became very very frustrated. And you know, you just you could really see the impact of insufficient infrastructure on a growing economy and, you know, causing people to have less faith in the future of the Bay Area, feeling we're on the wrong track rather than the right track. People talking about leaving, can't afford it, yeah. really don't see as much of a benefit and so forth. And then then came the pandemic and that changed everything, you know, changed people's perceptions, changed the way people function, brought a whole set of new problems. But, you know, we're in a, we're in a different time now. And I would say, we don't really know the full effect of this because we haven't fully recovered from it yet. So, you know, the, a lot of this is really ahead of us. And, you know, what we know is people stopped working in in downtown type areas where yeah. they were working yeah. before. And they, they went to work mostly at home or, in, you know, they went to work locally and, you know, close to where they live. And that had, you know, that's caused, you know, major disruption. And so today, I think Bart's average ridership is is less than a third of what it was pre-pandemic and it's actually risen to get back to less than a third and um you know i chair the water emergency transportation authority yeah. ferry system yeah. we're probably doing as as well as anyone and we're trying really hard to get people back on the ferry system but it's really hard because you know th- there's not a demand for it in the com- especially in the commute peak period hours people are actually using transit more in the off-peak not more than before, but, you know, on a comparative basis, people are moving around at different times. We're seeing a return to automobile traffic, but not necessarily at the same times as before. So people are picking different slots in which to move around and it's having, you know, a lot of impact. And then, you know, ultimately, because we're still in the pandemic and, we're, you know, just maybe at the edge of coming out of it, the dust hasn't settled. So we don't really know when people will come back to work per se, or if they'll come back to work. And, you know, if you talk to people in commercial real estate, everybody's coming back soon. And if you talk to people who are like the workers in the companies who lease the space in commercial real estate, they say, well, you know, maybe not so fast. So that arbitrage is yet to really occur. And I think it's one of the really big questions on our future is how how that's going to go. We've noticed that also as we've talked to some of the end user folks, and they certainly have a different kind of timeline and outlook on on where their priorities are. But uh, interestingly, from the member companies who are who are part of the Bay Area Council, what are their concerns? What are they, you know, communicating to you? And sort of how how would they, you know, how would you as a group like to present those, and how do you help them? You know, the concerns are before the pandemic. We saw a big rise in the concern around homelessness, visible on the street homelessness, sure. street crime, car break-ins, people, you know, workers feeling uncomfortable and companies feeling responsible for protecting, you know, the safety of their employees. You know, since the pandemic, it seems like, you know, the problem is unabated, certainly, and it doesn't, it, it hasn't, it doesn't appear to the companies that they can feel comfortable that there's a solution on the horizon. Now that said, you know, the government, which is pumping money into everything and California has this huge surplus, you know, thanks to the tax system that we have, you know, given that the markets have remained strong, there's tremendous IPOs and transactions taking place. And so 
That's how our state budget is built. So they pro- projected a $54 billion deficit and came up with an $85 billion surplus. And they're, you know, basically directing funds at a lot of social issues, especially uh, some infrastructure issues yeah. that you know, yeah. need, need, need attention. But, um, and homelessness is one of them, you know, in the budget for the next two years, the governor directed over $12 billion to address homelessness. It's a lot of money. You know, a lot. That's a lot of money. Will money solve the problem? You know, can that money be well spent? Be the impact? Is that a sign that we should be hopeful? You know, I think so. We're hoping the federal government will come in, but that's a big issue on the minds of everybody, and I, I think we have to solve that one. We can't. We can't really have a successful society with tens of thousands of people living on the streets of the Bay Area, and just like the California has over. 50% of the nation's unsheltered homeless population. Wow. It's 77% or so in LA and the Bay Area. It's around that. Of the of the total homeless population actually lives on the street. Yeah. In New York yeah. City, it's 5%. So in New York City, homeless people are in homeless shelters, but in the Bay Area, they're not. You know, and it's really very, very problematic. Linked to that issue is housing itself. So if you ask CEOs, you know, what's your biggest problem? Many of them will say, I can't, my, the people who we need to retain want to own a home and they can't get it, or they won't have a reasonable place for their family to grow and they can't get it. So they're either leaving or thinking about leaving, or they're moving far away into other parts of the kind of the greater region or mega region. And that, you know, now are subject to a long commute and so forth. So we, you know, we have to address that that housing issue. That's very, very much on on their minds. Many employers are concerned on the transit system that their employees don't want to get on it. Yeah. And it right. doesn't yeah. really work for many of their employees not to get on it. You know, driving a car into a central place like a San Francisco, it just doesn't really work for a lot of people. Yeah. Imagine transferring those four hundred thousand people that were on the daily commute, <laughs> right? Yeah. And public transportation now, imagine 400,000 vehicles or even 200,000 extra vehicles, right, hitting hitting the roads. Uh, and, and at a time when, you know, the Bay Area traffic already was, I think, stretched yeah. to its limits. So we're, we've been working on that, you know, that issue. And uh, I serve on a group called the Blue Ribbon Task Force on Transportation. It's a regional group. It has some government people. Yep. It has the heads of 12 of the 28 transit agencies, a few advocacy groups, and then, you know, me. And, and now, you know, we've kind of narrowed it, but we're tr- what we're trying to do, uh, you know, the, the biggest thing we're trying to do is to get those 28 agencies to work as one, to align their fares, right. their schedules, a common wayfinding system. We, we have to do better and provide a mass transit system in this region that is going to attract people back to it and you know they they people want to take transit if they can take it but they they also want to feel safe and they want to don't want to if they have to switch from one to another they don't want to have to wait tremendous headways things like that so we have to we have a lot of work to do but we're work, we're working hard on that yeah jim you mentioned that you had some insight into you know some of the dollars allocated towards homelessness and sort of other other areas on a, on kind of a statewide basis and it sounds like you guys are doing some work with the governor's office how are you guys engaging and and, and how does what's going on in the bay area compare to you know other parts of the state i guess primarily southern california 
it's a struggle for for all and i think there's a lot of similarities between the two and you know we we completed our second we did a major report this year on homelessness which you can find in bayareaeconomy.org with all of the other studies that are done by the Bay Area Council Economic Institute but it's worth the read it really digs deep into homelessness as a regional issue right and uh, as a result of that report in part a group was created called all home which serves the purpose of trying to come up with you know true regional solutions to homelessness and so i think we're making some progress here i think some progress is also being made in la but i think we, we all see that you know from an advocate standpoint there's a strong belief that we have to provide housing for people yeah. and it's very very expensive and we limit ourselves in the kind of housing that we can provide, the places we can provide it, and the velocity at which we can provide it. And you know, what one of the things we've learned, and, and may, maybe it helped in the pandemic that the government was providing so much money to so many people and also had eviction restrictions. So we've probably seen a little bit of a lessening of people becoming homeless. But before that, and, and maybe during it, it's a little hard to see. Sure. As fast as we could find solutions to people's need, more people were having them, in, in many cases, outpacing it. I remember a great presentation from Mayor Licardo in San Jose, and he was so proud. You know, we found two, you know, we created 2,000 units of housing for people. We got 2,000 people really off the street, and 4,000 people came in the system in that same year. Wow, yeah. And And that's the kind of thing that's happening. So you have to be able to address the needs of people who are living on the edge, usually people at zero to 30% of the median income. You know, that's, those are the people who are becoming homeless. When something happens in their life, they get evicted, or there's a medical issue, or, you know, there's a major need for their car or something, uh, you know, they're, they're like one step away, one paycheck away, one situation away from, you know, becoming homelessness and homeless. And right. we have to, work with that population. And, you know, there's a number of ways we're all trying to do it with, you know, pushing for more vouchers, you know, help, you know, really, you know, helping with finance for those people when they run into a problem to just help them with cash at a critical time. So there's a number of efforts that are going on, but I don't think we've completely got our arms around this by any means. Right. And right. Um, I'm hopeful that, you know, the, the, the governor and project home key and purchasing you know, motels and converting them and so forth and doing a lot. And, you know, I think with this money, we'll do a lot more, you know, hopefully that 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 will help. But the, you know, the ultimate need is quite great. You know, if you're just going to look at it from the standpoint of financial need, the, the other side of the coin on this is people who have problems that it's not just about money. You know, it's about mental health issues. Sure. It's sure. about, it's about, you know, drug addiction. and you know, though, that's very, very complicated. Yeah. And you can't just look at homelessness as just one thing. It's really a combination of issues and you have to address them all and you have to be willing to take, I believe, some political risk in saying, you know, we, we have to set a standard for what's acceptable in the society. And we, yes, we have to pay for ensuring people's uh, safety and making sure that they have a place and that they get the help they need. But it can't just be the way they want it. It has to be the way that works for everybody yeah. because we have non-homeless citizens who have rights too. Yeah. And housing is 
also an issue not just at, at that level, but at sort of every level of the you know employment sort of you know spectrum, if you will. And let me use this opportunity now to kind of switch towards the employers a little bit because I know they've been also you know trying to you know get the governor and others to realize, hey, there are certain things that we could do to help alleviate that by, you know, building more and, uh, you know, trying to, you know, create some, you know, fast track systems and things like that. Given that a couple of companies over the last, you know, 18 months or so have announced they're, you know, moving their headquarters out of, out of the state. Do you see that as sort of a taxation issue? Do you see that as a challenge in terms of the business climate? Do you see that as a challenge with with housing in general, or maybe all of those things combined and, and with more, right? With With more variables? Yeah, well, th- thanks. You know, so I'll try to, I'll do my best. Maybe I'll work my way back to housing. On yeah. That. So yeah. I think the business climate, as you suggested, is a combination of things. So I think, you know, it's, it's the fact that we have very, very high taxation on individuals in the state. It's an extremely, it's the most progressive tax system. And it's also the highest level of taxation, 13.3% income tax, no longer federally deductible. You know, based on the you know the federal changes in taxation when President Trump was in office, so you know that was a big hit on California, and I don't think that they were particularly sensitive to California's concerns because I talked to the Treasury <laughs> right. Department and those people at the time, right. and they told me that. And um, I think the taxes, the personal taxes, the wealth tax, and the constant proposal to raise the taxes are a big factor. Regulations across the board, the ease of which people can get sued. You know, that there's just a bias in favor of lawsuits and, you know, litigiousness yeah. in the state. Uh, you know, the additional costs for overtime and for meal breaks and the things that, you know, just kind of drive costs up when you have a lot of employees, especially in areas like manufacturing and so forth, you know, are very, very uh, serious. The, um, you know, the, 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 certainly the issue around the cost of housing a very, very big issue and it comes up all the time. And that gets to, you know, a big part of that, of course, is the complications uh, we experience when you try to build in California. And it's, you know, poster child is the California Environmental Quality Act, or CEQA, which is being not just used, but abused. It's come to a place where it's just used as a way to hold up projects, delay, force negotiations on labor agreements. I mean, it's not there to protect the environment per se. Housing per se is not really a threat to the environment. It can have environmental implications uh, that have to be addressed. And there's nothing wrong with mitigating impacts. And, you know, CEQA as a concept is not a bad idea, but it's grown to, it's grown be well, well beyond its uh, intent and it's hurting us, not helping. And then, you know, you have uh, other myriad other factors, uh, the difficulty of multiple agency, uh, you know, non-concurrent right, reviews, just right. things that really stretch out the the timelines, you know, so it's, it's just so many different things, energy costs, sure. you know, for yep. certain kind of businesses, yep. you know, we want to be green, but we do it at great cost. We don't really think about the cost a lot of times, you know, there, there is certainly a, a need to address climate change. And I think most of us celebrate California's leadership in this. And you know, we, we love our green buildings and we love, you know, zero net energy and we, you know, we support it. But, you know, we have to understand that from a strictly business standpoint, companies have to look at these things. Yeah. And yeah, I don't of course. think there's any one thing, you know, I think it's a myriad of things 
you know, you bring them all together and a company eventually says, hey, look, our future is not really here. You know, we're here. We're not necessarily going to move the people who are here. We're not going to grow here. And for some companies, it would be better to have our headquarters in another place because that's where we're going to really focus our growth. That's our future. Yeah. So that, I, I find this very, very disturbing. Yeah. Some people yeah. debate, oh, is it, you know, what's the difference if the headquarters is here or it goes to another place? Believe me, there's a difference. Yeah. And, and that was going to be my sort of follow-up question. Were, were you concerned when Tesla made their announcement? Now, even though, you know, the following day it was announced that they, you know, expanded in Palo Alto and they have this huge project in, you know, Central Valley that they're, you know, continue to grow. I don't think there's any shortage of what they're doing in, you know, California, but optically, you know, they're now going to be headquartered in Texas, right? Was that a concern, sort of how that might resonate with some other folks? Tesla is a child of California. And I think, you know, the, the, the way the state looks at it is like, we helped that child. You know, we invested money. We gave tax breaks. Yeah. You know, we, we helped that child grow. But you know how children are. <laughs> they they look to their parent for life. Right. And, you know, I think at some point Tesla stopped feeling like, they, you know, they had a reliable parent in California. And um, some of the things that Tesla faced, you know, the, you know, certainly in the pandemic, what happened with the plant and then the way they were treated over that. And, you know, the thing that uh, Assemblyman Gonzalo, Lorena Gonzalez said, you know, the FU, you know, I don't think was I don't think was lost on them. And uh, means is that, you know, they've taken a major, major company in the future of our society and shifted its focus to, to Texas, which is a competitor state with a governor that makes no small effort to try to bring companies like that to his state and has had a lot of success doing it. And I think we need to start standing up and, you know, competing yeah. in this space rather than making excuses for it and saying, well, it doesn't really matter because it matters. And it's going to matter in the future. And when the, once a company makes that headquarters move, it shifts their focus. It's, it's likely to shift their philanthropy, sure. and their engagement yep. yeah, in the yeah. community, of course, all of those things. So, uh, you know, we, we, we have to be alert to this. And um, I think we have our work cut out for us on this front. And I, I personally, because so much of this has been in the Bay Area, I recommend it to our board, you know, who brings these issues up all the time, that we create a, a new statewide organization of groups like the Bay Area Council, as well as groups that represent the various sectors in Sacramento, and see if we can't get better uh, traction in Sacramento for the issues that, I, you know, that we just talked about. Right. And have right. the legislators, you know, Elect legislators who are more who are more or are closer to business decisions or who are more be willing to become more educated and sympathetic, not because they feel bad or not because they want to make rich people richer and all that kind of stuff, but because they want to make sure that there's middle class jobs in the future yeah. of the state and that we're not pushing jobs elsewhere. We have 43 percent of the families on welfare in America are in California. 43%. Wow. That's you know, really, really high. We have the highest poverty rate in America. You know, we have the, the, the worst graduation rate from high school in America. We're 50 out of 50. These are signs of, of, dis, of, of stress and distress. And if we want to address poverty, if we want to create equity, the, the way to do it is by providing pathways for people to become employed and stay employed and grow in their jobs. You know, what I think we've done really well 
is provide uh, an environment through our institutions and our diversity and our uh, our approach to business, which has made it very attractive for companies to start up here. And we sure. get fifty percent of the VC funds in America, and you know it's an amazing place for uh, innovation. But when you get into sort of a lot of the businesses that uh, society depends on, those businesses are shifting. The ones where the margins are not so great and the value add is not as high, they're shifting to other states. And we're going to continue to see that trend. And when they do it, they take the jobs with them. That's why in, in terms of the population loss that we saw and the, you know, the net domestic migration, which is underwater, you know, which most of those folks are not high income individuals and mostly working people yeah, who, yep. you know, are going to other places, you know, for a better job opportunity combined with a better housing opportunity. Yeah. Now I have seen some studies that are showing that outward bound of, you know, people didn't necessarily mean out of state. A lot of them just sort of moved maybe a, out of the Bay Area to the, you know, fringes, maybe further towards Central Valley, maybe further south into, you know, Monterey County uh, or, you know, north or, you know, wherever. Do you see that as a net positive? Do you see that as as the ability to then offer more housing? Now the region, as you said earlier, you know, becomes bigger, right? I think that could be a positive thing sort of in the in the long term if uh, these people can continue to work from, let's say, you know, Fresno or someplace like that, perhaps, right? Is that something that also the Bay Area Council looks at and, and, and sort of things that that might be a positive out, outcome? Absolutely. And, you know, we've been polling for several years uh, and asking the question, are you thinking of leaving? And, you know, we get somewhere around 50 percent these days. People say within the next few years, I'm, I'm planning to leave. Well, then where are you going? And they mention other states. Well, what we found, at least during the pandemic, was, you know, they didn't go in those kind of numbers to other states. A lot of people did leave the Bay Area, but they left for Sacramento. Sacramento was the only county in California that actually grew population during the pandemic. So people did leave, but not at the rate to other states at, you know, as much as they said they would. Yeah, interesting. Uh, A lot of people went to Sacramento. They went to the Central Valley, you know, afford a home uh, and other places in California. And, and L.A. saw the same kind of out-migration to the Inland Empire and, and, and so forth. So out to the desert, you know, et cetera. So we've been working on this before the pandemic. You know, we have a partnership with the groups in Sacramento and in the North, North San Joaquin Valley, Fresno, to see how we can make sure as much as we can that when if people feel the need to go somewhere else, they don't leave California, they stay in California, and that the benefits of those regions become uh, connected to the Bay Area region, which really has the, you know, the greatest, certainly is a great job creator and has had a, you know, very, has a very, very powerful, unique, kind of unique economy. And so, you know, we're working hand in hand with those folks. You know, I think there's been some success to it. And that's why, you know, we've done a couple of studies on the mega region and really showing how this can be. The the next phase of this, we actually have the metropolitan planning organizations of the Bay Area called MTC, Metropolitan Transportation Commission, and the San Joaquin Council of Governments and the Sacramento Council of Governments actually meeting together every few months and recently came up with and approved, the three separate boards approved 12 major projects that are in the separate areas. So this yeah, is a first. Yeah. 
this is something that we pushed really hard for years. It is so gratifying to see it take hold and to be participant in this. And, you know, once the government folks start doing it, it gets very, very real. So we've got major projects outside of the Bay Area that are being supported by the Bay Area and vice versa. It helps us compete for funds because it broadens your right. political horizon. Right. And, you know, in the end, it'll, we'll have a bigger, if we do this right, and we provide the transportation networks and the, and the housing and the infrastructure to support this, we'll have a bigger labor market here. Uh, overall, which I, you know, it's always going to be very, very helpful. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. I do think that could be a, you know, great benefit to the region. Right. Let me sort of kind of shift towards sort of a negative angle here on, you know, climate. I mean, how has the Barrier Council put its focus around, around climate? How are your, you know, member companies worried, focusing on this, right? I know we can't solve it in the next five minutes, but I would love to just sort of hear some of the you know areas of where you guys are trying to make an impact. We've been concerned about it for a long time. And we were the business group back in 2006 that actually supported the AB32, the Global Warming Solutions Act. So we yeah. have a history working on this. We traveled to China several times with Governor Jerry Brown to meet with Xi Jinping because you know the concept of California and China being partners you know, is something that, you know, we've been pushing for, you know, solutions that can be kind of driven in, in collaboration. We have a, a program called the California Resilience Challenge in which we raise money from the private sector for local solutions, not to mitigate climate change impacts, but to re respond to them. Yeah. Because we're yeah. already at the point we can see where the climate has changed. It's happening faster than we thought or hoped. And we need to be prepared for sea level rise, we need to be prepared for extreme weather events. We need to be prepared for a smaller water supply because the snow melts much earlier and we don't have the water store. So, you know, I've pushed for uh, desal for water recycling at scale. Yeah. We don't have enough water in California. Right. We just don't have enough water. Shifting the water around from, you know, the environment, fish to urban water uses, to the farmers, to the recreational uses, it's not enough water. And it's not going to be. It's just, we're, we're going to need more water. We should start working on that. So we, we're also been very focused. Major study on wildfire recovery and this urban-rural interface. That's we've done a lot of building in these yeah, areas, yeah. and you know, with the expected outcomes. And so you, you know, our forestry practices have to change. And then you know, the governor's taken a lot of lead on this. You know, there, there's some legislation that Senator Feinstein and uh, Congressman Panetta have jointly to bring you know more funding into this. The federal government needs to do its share. It controls most of the forested areas. And you know, they need to do their share of thinning the forests and controlled burns. And you know, there's been some legislation on that to make that a little bit easier to do and pass this session to you know reduce the liability for those things. So you know it's going to be a combination of things that are necessary, but we can't withstand these wildfires, you know, it's done so much damage and it's disheartening and I think discouraging to people. But we have to be, um, you know, we have to be committed to changing the way we deal with our environment. I mean, literally how we plan uh, in the in the region. And we have to take into account, you know, the future physical state of the Bay Area. We're yeah. even looking yeah. and a lot of people don't like us looking at this, but we're actually looking at a, a barrier at the Golden Gate Bridge to kind of control, because that's where water comes in and out of the bay. Yep. Um, you know, we could see a huge amount of sea level rise, more than we really can handle. 
you know, by 2100, you know, with, so that's a, that's kind of an out of the box, uncomfortable solution. And it's, you know, a lot of folks would rather just look at improving the wetlands and sort of the natural physical response to uh, a sea level rise. We, we agree with that. Uh, but, you know, that it may take more than that, unfortunately, to, to deal with that. It may not be enough. Jim, a lot of things that we discuss here are, you know, concerns for you and for your member companies and obviously for people who live, you know, throughout the West Coast. I want to close this conversation by asking you about, you know, what gives you hope? Where where are the positive signs so that we we don't just talk about some of the, you know, challenges of what's happening here, but but also, you know, where is the rays of sunshine coming from? Well, you know, rays of sunshine is a good way of saying that by accident, my wife and I and our youngest child, we ended up uh, spending a couple of months in Hawaii and just got back recently. So we were away and I was kind of wondering how I'd feel coming back. You know, I was working remotely from there and, you know, I was ha- happy to come back, you know, in the end. And California is so amazing. The Bay Area is so amazing. I'm like many people. I wasn't born here. I came here you know, 40 years ago. Yeah. Because it's so great. And it, and it just is so great. There's so much here. There's so much natural beauty. You know, there's so much acceptance and diversity and quality and things you can do and places you can go and the recreation you can enjoy and sports and, you know, culture, all of these things. It's a dynamic place. And of course, the innovation and, in, you know, economy and you know, these incredible educational institutions, which are such standouts. So I, I think we have the assets to compete with anyone. And I think we have some problems that have to be addressed. But, you know, California should be successful because, you know, we we just have so, you know, it's such a place of quality. And we've been digging a little bit of a hole for ourselves. And yeah. No question about it. But, you know, it's kind of time to start you know, repairing that and making sure we don't keep digging it and that we, you know, acknowledge the issues that we have. These are not unsolvable things. I, I don't think any of them are unsolvable. You know, we can we can produce better infrastructure. We can provide home, humane solutions to, you know, our needy populations while at the same time regarding the general population. We have a, a lead on public transportation compared to most places. We just need to make it better and make it function more and uh, as one. So, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for this place. I, w- I wouldn't leave. I wouldn't even think about it. And when you get serious about this housing thing, you know, and it's interesting how with all of the negative talk, you know, housing prices have, have gone up. So there's still obvious demand. Remote work is an interesting uh, phenomenon. And there's a lot of talk of people go leaving the Bay Area to work remotely in other parts of the country, in second tier cities or going back home to where their parents are and so forth. But, you know, I think that the Bay Area is going to be the greatest place to be a remote worker, not just for a company located in the Bay Area. But, you know, we have about 30 Fortune 500 companies in the Bay Area, which is pretty good, second most in New York Metro. But that means there's about 470 uh, Fortune 500 companies not in the Bay Area that you could potentially work for and live in the Bay Area. And on, a, you know, I think there's a lot of people in America and, and globally who'd love the opportunity to be a Bay Area resident 
and, you know, do whatever it is that they're doing. They maybe have waited their whole lives and it was dependent on a job with a Bay Area company that they couldn't get. Now they don't need that. You know, now they can work for, you know, they don't have to leave their job. So there's going to be some flow. But at the end of the day, you know, I think we have some serious advantages. You know, we do have to solve some of these issues and remind people better of what our advantages are. Maybe we need to do a little better, a little bit better marketing and so forth. But uh, we'll come through this. I'm very confident of that. Well, Jim, thank you so much for spending time with us. Great insight. Great to hear that uh, there's a lot going on and uh, hopefully some solutions uh, coming you know, over the next five years or a decade in, in this cycle, right? It's not going to happen overnight. We didn't get into this overnight and we're still, you know, the pandemic is still very real and, you know, the impacts of that. But, uh, you know, we, a lot of people are focused on it. We are uh, people who care. I mean, people in the Bay Area really care about it. It's, uh, you know, no question about that. And, uh, you know, we'll see it through. I'm, I'm, I feel like, uh, you know, the, the next phase, I think we're going to begin working our way through this now. Yeah, excellent. Well, Jim, stay safe. We'll be in touch. Thanks. Thanks for uh, having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry. And we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business.